0: As you know, we've been studying seven letters to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. Last Sunday, we went over the fourth one, the one to Thyatira. Today we come to the one for Sardis, It's found in chapter 3 of Revelation, first six verses. And to the angel of the church in Sardis, write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you live, and you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, because I have not found your works perfect before God. Therefore, remember how you have received and heard and hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you shall not watch, I will come on you like a thief, and you shall not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white, because they are worthy. He who overcomes, the same shall be clothed in white clothing. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The name Sardis was an ancient name, a well known ancient city. Going back to 560 BC, it was the capital of Lydia and had a very famous king by the name of Croesus. Sardis was built on Mount Timolus, but it was a big ridge that reached out from the mountain, sort of like a pier, but up high. It was a natural fortress. It gave great Protection from invading enemies. It was considered to be impregnable. Herodotus, the Greek historian, though, tells us what happened under Cyrus, who was king of the Medes and the Persians. In fact, we read about him in the Bible. He was rather favorable toward Israel. But as he was heading westward, conquering as he went, he came to Sardis, this impregnable city. In order to scale the cliffs, which seemed impossible to do, it would be a good idea to see if anybody that lived there showed you a way. And the historian Herodotus tells how Cyrus had offered a reward if anyone could find a way to climb up there. Well, there was a soldier that was looking, examining the situation, how he might get up there. But one of the Lydian soldiers dropped his helmet, and it went down a ways. And so Cyrus's soldier watched very carefully how that soldier picked his way down got his helmet went back up well that night the soldier that had observed this got some companions and they went up that very way and when they got to the top guess what they found nobody no sentinel no watch had been set they were so overconfident that no one could come up that way that they didn't bother to watch. And so they went in and the city got conquered. Sardis became known and was known as being very rich. There were five big roads that came into Sardis and Rhodes brought in trade. As with Thyatira, dye was one of their big items of trade. Also wool. There were a lot of shepherds and sheep east in Phrygia, and they would come in, and so they became very great, trading in wool and dyes and in many, many other things. In fact, it almost seemed like creation conspired to bring riches to Sardis. There was a river that came through there and it carried gold to them. They were the first ones in Asia Minor to mint coins and somewhat started things off monetarily for the world. In a way, these and other things helped Sardis to become not just a rich city, but an excessively rich city. Very, very rich indeed. Of course, they had idols and different mythological characters that they worshipped in temples, They had one Phrygian goddess named Sibylle, and when people worshipped Sibylle, it was usually very frenzied, kind of hysterical, kind of wild. Another interesting thing that happened to Sardis is in the year 17 AD under Tiberius Caesar, and we read about him, of course, in the New Testament as well. There was a big earthquake, and it destroyed the city of Sardis. But Tiberius helped rebuild it. They gave a bunch of money. They helped in other ways. And so this city that had been devastated by the earthquake was now rebuilt and very prosperous again. It was one of the seven cities that bid for the right to have a temple for Caesar worship. If you were here when we talked about the one that had the second letter, Smyrna, you heard that there were seven cities that wanted this right and build this temple. Well Smyrna is the one that won out, but Sardis was one of the seven that bidded for that privilege of building the temple for Caesar worship, but they didn't get the bid. Because of the riches, because of other things, the idolatry, what have you, Sardis became super rich. They became luxury-loving. They wanted to get a lot of riches and apparently not have to work too hard to do that. They believed in immorality Loose living. In fact, it's interesting to find out, the same Herodotus wrote about him. And we learned that the pagan view, the pagan view of Sardis, was very dim. They thought it was a city that was decadent, a city that was not good, in spite of the riches. They had failed in many, many ways. So even the pagans looked down on rich Sardis. Now as we think of all these things, do we discover any parallels today? I think if we think carefully, we can find there are quite a few parallels. Riches have a way of getting us a little off track, don't they? The ease of living might help us not want to work hard and motivate ourselves to do things that ought to be done. And immorality, of course, is always a great temptation. And often they excused it and rationalized it by putting it in with their worship of the false gods. Bearing all these things in mind, let's look at the letter itself here in Revelation 3. Now the first part of verse 1 is referred to back in Revelation chapter 1 verses 4 and 20. It also then goes on, I know your works and you have a name, that you have a name, you have a reputation in other words. That you live and you are dead. (laughs) Now, he's talking about the church here. And you can almost say, like city, like church. And sometimes, like culture, like people. And so, God saw things differently than perhaps they saw it. You've got a name, you have a reputation. But the reality is, spiritually, you're dead. (laughs) That'd be horrible to hear Jesus say that about us, wouldn't it? We hope we'll never hear such a thing. But we need to pay attention to what it says, do we not, in this letter? And God saw the heart, and He pointed out the deep problem. He said, You're dead spiritually. You have this reputation, but the reality is something else indeed. Now in verse two, be watchful. What happened when they didn't watch when Cyrus came? They'd set no watch. Soldiers climbed up, conquered the city. Cyrus's march continued a victory. And so the people of Sardis and the people of the Church of Sardis, they knew what it meant, I'm sure, when Jesus would say, be watchful, set a watch, pay attention. And So he warns us in our lives, be watchful. Later talks, does it not, about his coming. There's a verse that really speaks to us along this line, In Matthew, chapter 25, here's what it says in verse 13, after the parable of the virgins. Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man comes. So as the people in Sardis in the church were told to watch, So Jesus earlier had also told us to watch. To watch for his coming. To love his coming. To be ready for it. Some people say, well, he hasn't come yet. Well, that's true. They'll say, well, it's been a couple thousand years and he hasn't come. He's not going to come. problem is what he promises he will perform. He said he will come. He will come at his time. God does not lie. And so he doesn't want us to be caught unawares, like when a thief comes in the night, sneaks in, sneaks out. He says, be ready, set a watch for your soul. Be ready for his coming. I believe he could come at any time. I believe in the imminence of his return. I believe when he said to watch, he meant for us to be ready at all times, even though it is 2,000 years. What's 2,000 years to God? In 2 Peter 3, it's like a couple of days. Seems longer to us, but to God, it's just a couple days. What he promises, as I said, he will perform, he will come, and we're to be ready How can we be ready? How can we be sinless and perfect? Well, in ourselves, we can't, it's impossible. But when we repent and put our faith in the Lord Jesus, he forgives us our sins and he gives us his righteousness. It's a gift. We are clothed in the righteous robe of the Lord Jesus. We are clothed in white clothing, a picture of forgiveness. And sinlessness before God. But we may protest and say, Well, I'm still have the old sin nature. I still do things I shouldn't do. It's good to admit that. But it's even better to do our best and to accept His forgiveness and His gift of everlasting life. We don't deserve it. We can't even keep it by being good. We're saved by faith and we're kept by faith. And we sang about, we believe, didn't we, in one of the songs. We trust, we depend upon the Lord. And so it goes on to say here in verse 2, back in Revelation 3, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain. Ah, so they weren't 100% dead. There were still some things that had some life in them. He says, work on that. Bring it back to life, strengthen it. That are ready to die, it says something needs urgent attention here, for I have not found your works perfect before God. God saw the motives, God saw the actions, and there were things that were lacking in these works that they were doing. He says, Change. First, he says, though, remember in verse 3. Therefore, remember how you have received and heard. There's something to be said about thinking about what has already happened. It's true that in Philippians 3, Paul said, forgetting the things that are behind. We're not to let them drag us down. We're not to wallow in past guilt but instead were to accept the gracious free gift of God. And we have received it. Paul later said about how he'd received the instructions for communion, which we're going to observe in a few minutes here. So they're to remember how they had received and how they had heard the truth. Remember, the truth makes you free. Bearing that in mind, he says, hold fast and repent. Hang on, don't let loose. Have you ever kind of had a temptation to not hang on to Jesus like you should? He says, don't do that. (laughs) Keep hanging on to him. He's our rope of salvation. He's the one that lives in us, and we sang about that. He's the one who will help us carry on through. And so, repent and hold fast. Change your mind, change your ways, it says. If therefore you shall not watch, here he comes back to that word again, which as we said, they failed to do way way back there. And by the way, it's about two or 300 years later, same thing happened to Sardis a second time under another invader. They failed to watch, and again, a similar thing happened. So they would understand what it means when it says watch, be alert, make sure that you're what you ought to be and protect yourself. I will come on you. He will come unexpectedly like a thief, and you shall not know what hour I will come on you. We saw in Matthew 25:13 that Jesus emphasized that, did we not? You don't know the day, you don't know the hour. And yet, we've all lived long enough to hear different people, or at least one person particularly, that kept prophesying that Jesus was going to come on a certain date. Just a few years ago, there were even signs around, Jesus was going to come on a certain date. And a lot of people accepted that. Of course, a lot of people did not because they knew what Jesus had said. That date came and went, and Jesus didn't come. And then the main person behind it, he said, oops, I made a mistake. And he said another date a few months later. (laughs) That date came, that date went, Jesus didn't come. Then that person did something that I would commend him for. He said, I've sinned. (laughs) He admitted he was wrong. And that's a hard thing to do. But better yet is listen to Jesus. He says nobody knows the day or the hour. Even if you get a bunch of scripture verses and hook them together and you think you found the date. He wasn't the first person to do this. Uh, there were de- a denomination or two was founded in the 1840s along this line, and through the years, different people have set dates. When they passed into the year 1000, 1000 A.D., that's a millennium ago or so, there were predictions about the end of the world at that time, and there were arguments, but he didn't come. But he is going to come at his timing, when he's ready. But like I pointed out last Sunday, he gives us opportunity to change by delaying his coming. Second Peter 3, 9 and 10, you'll see how that's true. So he tells them, Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard, they really listened, and hold fast and change, repent. If therefore you shall not watch, I will come on you like a thief, and you shall not know what hour I will come on you. And Then a word of encouragement here in verse 4. You have a few names, even in Sardis, (laughs) even in this luxury-loving, sinful city. There are few of you there who have not defiled their clothes. They've not dirtied them. And they shall walk with me in white because they're worthy. So even in this difficult situation of a city and a church, there are few people who held fast and who were walking close to God, who were seeking to please him and let his power and light shine through them every day. And then he comes to this, verse 5, He who overcomes... The same shall be clothed in white clothing. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life. There is a book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. What a wonderful promise that is, is it not? It were kept in the hand of the Lord Jesus. We can read about that in John chapter 10. But we need to cooperate also, do we not? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus speaks, the Spirit speaks, God speaks. If we have spiritual hearing, it says, let us listen. And so we take these few sentences here in the first part of Revelation 3. and By the grace of God, we listen. If there's any changes we need to make, hopefully we make those changes. Hopefully we are counted among the worthies, those who are to be clothed in white, as it were. They shall stand before him. They shall be victors in the Lord. One of the very important things about Jesus is he came not only to teach us, He came from heaven. He is God incarnate in the flesh. He came not just to live and teach, but he came to die on purpose on the cross. He came from heaven to earth to give an atoning sacrifice. He took our place on the tree. He was cursed for us. He was treated as if he were sin. The just sentence of sin was suffered by the Lord Jesus Christ. But he didn't stay dead. And yes, it was sinful hands of men that crucified him and they were responsible, but it was in God's overall plan Jesus could have called 12 legions of angels to stop it all. But he wanted to die for the sins of the world and do what his father sent him to accomplish. And so he did that. Now, had that been the end of the story, we might as well go home and forget about it. But it wasn't. Gloriously, he came alive on that third day. He had them feel him. He had a resurrected body, a glorious body. He ate in front of him. Ghosts don't eat. He proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was indeed alive again, had conquered death and hell as we sang about. And so the atoning sacrifice is of paramount importance.